The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here's your host, Victoria Moran. Happy lovely Wednesday or whatever day you happen to be listening. I'm Victoria Moran, your host of the Main Street Vegan Show. What a pleasure to have you with us today and our glorious guests. After the break, we're going to be bringing on Dr. Salish Rao of climatehealers.org. But right now, we're going to be talking with Kimberly Snyder. CN, she is a nutritionist, and I would dare say a celebrity nutritionist. When I mentioned to my assistant that she was going to be on, my assistant said, ooh, Kimberly Snyder. So, yeah, we can all say ooh. And she's a nutritionist for the mind, body, and soul, best-selling author of the Beauty Detox series, creator of the Glowing Green Smoothie for her company, Glow Bio. And she is releasing a brand-new book, That is seriously glorious. I got my copy last night, and like Kimberly, I try to keep Ayurvedic hours and get to bed by 10 o'clock, but I have to admit, Kimberly, last night I was up late because I was reading (laughs) this beautiful book, Radical Beauty, How to Transform Yourself from the Inside Out by Kimberly Snyder and Dr. Deepak Chopra. Welcome, Kimberly. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's a pleasure. Well, I love your topic. But you're a nutritionist, and you are a serious clinical nutritionist. So people get sick because of what they eat. Why the focus on beauty? So for me and Deepak in this book, we really wanted to redefine beauty. And, you know, in the world, there's you hear the word beauty a lot, but a lot of it um, is unfortunately sort of about a shallow concept or competitive or, oh, you know, this is what you have to look like to be beautiful. So we really wanted to redefine beauty to be something that's accessible for everyone. And um, in our definition, radical beauty is accessing your natural beauty's highest potential and tapping into your own unique expression of beauty, which we all have. And my philosophy is very much about the idea you know, as a nutritionist, that outer beauty is a reflection of inner health. Um, we've gone far beyond that in Radical Beauty to talk about all the other pillars that encompass a beautiful lifestyle, uh, beauty sleep and movement and skincare, connecting with nature and spiritual beauty, um, meditation, all that. So for us, the word, word beauty is something that is our birthright, and it means when we're healthy and energetic and tapped into our fullest potential. So it really goes a lot deeper when we use the word beauty. And then the book is 
fabulous. And you have these little boxes so (laughs) that somebody, if they're just feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm not feeling beautiful at this moment, you can just open this book and read a box and say, okay, I was listening to the culture and not to my inner light. So let's start with the pillars. You are a nutritionist, so internal nourishment is uh, a big one, and so is external nourishment. What's the difference? So internal nourishment um, having to do, of course, with how you what you put into your body and how that manifests in really supporting your energy and your skin and your hair and just your demeanor in the world and how you can pursue your personal and professional goals when you feel really amazing. Um, in my last three books, I talked a lot about digestion. That's a big focus of my beauty detox philosophy. Here we talk a lot about circulation. And a lot of people think about circulation as just relating to heart health. But circulation also has a lot to do with circulating oxygen and nutrients all around your body um, and help, you know, it keeps you, it keeps your hair healthy. It allows you to have that really glowing skin. Um, it's also really vital for um, anti-aging, not just in a shallow, superficial way on the outside, but also having healthy blood, healthy liver, healthy organs. Um, and so it's not, it's a very different approach um, from what Deepak has covered in his last books as far as nutrition and what I've covered. Um, there's a lot of new research, but it, it's the first pillar. It's the most tangible. It's what we find is, um, you know, people can start to make changes and build on those changes. It's not all or nothing, certainly. Um, and as you mentioned too, Victoria, because people are busy, um, what's great is that there's so many boxes. People can flip to the section, oh, here's, you know, the tips, the best foods for my liver, which I know is my, you know, my fat burning organ and my detoxifying organ. Or here's some really great recipes I can start to incorporate. Or, you know, just you can take away. There's a lot of tangible tips and tools. We wanted it to be very hands-on. So that's the starting place, as you mentioned, internal nourishment. And uh, plants have just got it going on. Tell us something. <laughs> That's right. You know, when we talk about n- nutrient-dense foods, a lot of people that, you know, talk so much about carbs and protein and fat, but there's all the micronutrients, all the thousands of phytonutrients that you get when you eat, you eat plants in a complete nutritional package. So we certainly, you know, say you don't have to be all plant-based if you're transitioning or you aren't there yet. I I happen to be all plant-based and um, Deepak is now currently, um, sometimes he goes in and out of having dairy. You know, he has, he's an Ayurvedic practitioner as well, but in the, all the recipes, everything we promote in the book is, is plant-based. And I've personally been plant-based now for about 12 years. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I am I'm totally with you on giving people the time that they need to make something stick and and to make something work. So, all is well. That's right. Exactly. And you, as you mentioned before about you know, living an Ayurvedic lifestyle and that it's ideal to go to bed at 10, but you know what? I have a 5-month-old baby Ooh. and my <laughs> son is certainly not on the Ayurvedic time frame. So I know all this information about sleep and I'm doing my best, but, you know, life isn't perfect. So it's about just trying to, to, to make things, you know, to make improvements where you can and, you know, building on that and not trying to be perfect or implement everything all at once. Exactly. So what do you mean by tip number four, primal beauty? Oh, you know, you know what? This is actually my favorite pillar. Um, this has to do with our inherent connection with nature and how instead of fighting it or not acknowledging it, actually harnessing the power of the greater cosmos around us and helping us with our goals. So I'll give you an example. Just the way that we change our clothes per season in Primal Beauty, in this pillar, we teach you how to change your whole lifestyle routine per season. Um, what you're eating, your skincare routine, um, Everything, because the elements shift in the season. We know from, our, from an Ayurvedic standpoint that, you know, fall is, this, is the season of vata. There's a lot of wind in the air. It's easy to get constipated, for instance, or to feel flustered. And so we want to bring in more of that earth energy um, and, it's, and so on and so forth for each season. There's also brand new breaking information, clinical research about grounding, about actually touching the earth, about... Um, 
just about eating here again about eating plant-based foods and how it actually shifts the way that we are able to convert energy from light. There's some amazing new research out um, how to sync with the lunar cycle, especially as women were really connected to the moon, how to sync with the solar cycle, how to get enough vitamin D, but not, um, not age your skin, it, everything to do with the earth. It's actually my personal favorite pillar. And I love, I love this. I love talking about nature and connecting because it's, it's so many things that um, we don't really realize are actually really beneficial. And there's actually studies backing them up. Something as simple as, you know, walking near the ocean or walking in your backyard. Uh, there's a study that shows just doing that for an hour actually improved blood flow to your face and improved facial appearance. So instead of going out and having to spend, you know, $200 on a facial, you can just walk around in your yard and it's actually helping to reduce inflammation, fight free radicals, help with better sleep. So um, I really love this. If you can tell how passionate I am, I really love talking about that. Uh, well, and this is, this is one of the things that sets your book apart. I mean, obviously I'm prejudiced because with all your pillars, I agree with what you're saying, but this one is really, really unique. You're talking about some things that nobody <laughs> has really talked about yet. So when your book is actually available in the world on September 20th, everybody needs to get it so that they will be in on all this fabulous information too. Now, how about pillar number six, spiritual beauty? So here we, we have this approach of, you know, working from the very tangible from food into working towards the more subtle concepts and spiritual beauty is really you know, it's just a really important part of being beautiful. Um, I'm sure, you know, you know, I know, we all know people that may be physically beautiful, but they aren't, you know, what I call true. They're not really living in their, their true beauty. If they don't feel connected to themselves, they don't have that inner joy. They don't have that, um, magnetism. And this can only really come, in our opinion, from being in touch with our spiritual beauty, with our connection to everything else and to being in tune with um, with source, you know, what Deepak and I call the prime source of beauty, whether you call it the soul, the self, God, the universe, whatever it is, it's tapping into that bigger whole. And if we kind of feel like we're, you know, if we're not connected, then we just feel miserable and always trying to compare our beauty with someone else or feel competitive or, um, you know, that there's a lack that we need to buy all these products or, oh, you know, I just don't have this hair product. That's why I'm not beautiful or having to spend all this money on extra <laughs> on, on everything and never getting there, never getting to the goal. So spiritual beauty is about learning to tap in, to quiet the mind, uh, meditations, especially meditations for women, um, and really just helping us all embody that, um, you know, accepting our, our true beauty, which is ours and ours alone. It doesn't need to be compared with anyone else. It's never diminished by anyone else's beauty. And so it's a very empowering pillar and, um, yeah, it's it's just it's wonderful. It's one you can go back to and read over and over again. There's great meditations. There's just beautiful insight. And it is a beautiful book, Radical Beauty: How to Transform Yourself from the Inside Out. Now, thank you. Kimberly, I don't usually get this personal on this show, but because you have brought up the word competitive twice, <laughs> I just feel like I need to share with you kind of a uh, woman to woman that I am in this competition right now for PETA's sexiest vegan over 50. And oh. uh, the finalists <laughs> were announced last week. And so the voting has been going on and some people have had trouble comprehending the website and you know how to vote and stuff like that and it was all going just fine because obviously everybody in the competition is vegan everybody cares about the animals and the health of humans and the planet and all that and it's all good and then today they put up some extra pictures of everybody and it's like oh my gosh some of these pictures are really sexy and some of these women are probably five minutes over 50 and I'm 16 years over 50. Mm. And it was so interesting how emotionally I was taken back to when I was a fat kid with acne. Mm. And it's really interesting how when you get into that kind of world where comparing comes into it, that connection with the spiritual essence 
gets a little bit lopsided. It's, it's true. And if you look at the world we live in today, um, there's always it, it's we have to fight to go the other way. Almost we have to be really conscious because with Instagram and Facebook and ads and everywhere we look, images of beauty are pushed on us. Oh, and then it's easy, so easy to think, oh, no, I don't look like that. Or, you know, my skin has these sunspots or I, I need to lose the last 10 pounds. Like I'm not really beautiful because I'm not that. And it is so important, as you mentioned, to, to have this base, to have somewhere peaceful to retreat to, to have this whole new definition, which is why we wanted to put this book out into the world, which is the opposite. It's very, very powerful and empowering. And, and, you know, we really want every woman to feel her own beauty. And we really believe that beauty is a birthright for every single person. Um, and in the introduction, sorry, which I'm not sure you read yet, but there's this, it's my favorite sentence in the book where it says, you know, if you're trying to be something else, if you're trying to be that model or that celebrity, then you're not going to be really beautiful. You are the most beautiful when you are you and only you can be you when you are natural, when you are yourself and when you're tapped into the, you know, the best version of yourself, you're, you're taking care of yourself, you're sleeping well, you're having, you know, you're putting an amazing nutrition in your body. That is when you are the most beautiful and so we have to strip away all these comparisons. And I, I use the word competition because I, you know, I see it a lot. You know, I, I do work with a lot of Hollywood celebrities and it's a competitive world for them and everyone. They're competing with each other quite fiercely for roles, for press placement, for everything. But it's the same thing for us, you know, whether we acknowledge it or not. And so it's just a totally different paradigm shift of looking at beauty and celebrating all each person's beauty and and every woman's beauty and I, I think it's unfortunate how the way society is has sort of pitted women against each other versus celebrating everybody's unique expression because you know nobody's beauty takes away from anyone else's but celebrating it and and growing from it and I just think the world would be so much more beautiful in general <laughs> Oh, I love this. And and your book is about so much more than just helping people look better, although certainly you have amazing suggestions that actually work for doing that. So I know that you're going to have a launch party here in New York City on September 19th. Where is that going to be? Oh, yes, yes. So um, the information for the launch party, it's going to be at the Skirball Center at NYU, on okay. it starts at seven o'clock this Monday. Deepak and I are going to both be speaking. There's live music. There's refreshments. Um, it's going to be super fun. And the information for that is at radicalbeauty.com. And the book is actually pre-selling now as well. So you guys can find out information about the party and also to, to join our sweepstakes to win a, a nutritional consultation with me or a Vitamix. We're giving away a few of each. All of that is at RadicalBeauty.com. Wonderful. And so we'll put your website and your Facebook and all the rest on our show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So, Kimberly, just in our last couple of minutes, supplements. Some people say yes, some people say no. What's your take? So my take is that I I think that we need to really focus on, on food first and foremost and in eating a lot of, you know, amazing whole whole uh, foods, foods that are very nutrient dense. Um, but at the same time, I do think that there's a few supplements which help our bodies to, to support the overall functioning of our bodies. For instance, I'm a really big fan of probiotics. Um, especially SBO probiotics, soil-borne probiotics, which mimic the soil. They, uh, it mimics the type of probiotics our ancestors used to eat on unwashed fruits and vegetables. Um, I also am a big fan of, you know, coming. someone myself had a huge, for years I had so many constipation and so many digestive issues. So I'm a really big fan of oxygen magnesium, which is a gentle non-laxative cleanser just to help get waste out of your body so you're able to absorb more nutrients. Um, so there's a couple supplements, um, but I do think it can be dangerous to rely, to overly rely on supplements. And I've had clients, I go in their kitchen and they're literally taking 50 or 60 pills a day. Um, you know, there's a lot of synthetic issues with certain supplements. Your body has to then sort of expel them as toxins and it can take energy from your body. But there's some certain, you know, whole food based supplements that can be positive, but it is important to still focus on food as well. Mm. 
So give us just in our last moment here, two, three first steps toward radical beauty before the book gets delivered tomorrow. What do we do right now? Oh, so what do you do right now? Well, the first thing that I think is really important because um, I always tell my clients and readers to start from the morning up because it's really great when you start the day in a really positive mindset, when you start the day really nourished. So I would say focus on your morning routine. Um, some simple things you can do before you check your phone right away. Just take 30 seconds, a minute. If you're new to meditation, just sit there, gather yourself, feel grounded before you go out into the day. Um, and then I would have hot water with lemon, which is such an amazing thing to do. It's easy to do. You can get a bag of lemon so you don't have to shop every day or every other day if you don't have time. And that's something that really supports your liver, puts you on a high, has, you'll get a lot of vitamin C, a lot of hydration. And then try making my glowing green smoothie, which uh, the recipes on KimberlySnyder.com. It's really easy. It's packed with nutrition. Um, so that is what I would say is, you know, starting the day off in the best possible way will help you continue and build on that and feel great and, um, you know, go forward and, and keep growing. And the other thing I would say, Victoria, for, you know, radical beauty is just to, again, um, in that, in that moment of, of just taking some time to sit with yourself, just try to connect because if you can connect in the morning, it'll help you feel more grounded as you go about in the world with all the images and all the messages and just, you know, remembering that nothing is more beautiful than being yourself. And if you can sort of tap into that, at least in the morning, hopefully more of that carries into your day. That is a lovely message from a lovely woman. And the book is is stunning. Radical oh, thank you so much. All our, Everybody our read it. it. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got endorsements here from Drew Barrymore, Reese Witherspoon, Maria Shriver, and guess what? Every one of us can have access to Kimberly Snyder and Deepak Chopra and their wonderful wisdom. Thank you so much. I hope to see you on the 19th. Yes, I look forward to seeing you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. All the best. All the best. Bye-bye. Thank you. And everybody else, stay with us. We are going to talk about healing this planet with Dr. Salish Rao. you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world that's easier than ever with mobile giving just text unity radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. So happy to have you here. couple of things. The blog at MainStreetVegan.net. And I almost think in the last segment I said MainStreetVegan.com. That's wishful thinking. I don't have the .com, but I have .net. Um, just check out the blog. It is from Britt Lasaco, Leaves of Kale. You may know her blog. And it's about the V word. What do you think about the V word? Well, Britt weighs in on that in a lovely way at MainStreetVegan.net slash blog. And during the break, somebody messaged me and said, I didn't know you were up for Petey's Sexiest Vegan Over 50. How do we vote for you? Okay, thank you very much for asking. There are a couple of URLs. So the one that we have been using all along is tinyurl.com slash PETA50 plus, P-E-T-A, Five zero P L U S, and that takes you to the main page with all of the finalists, male and female. You can vote for a man and a woman. There will be a male and female winner going out into the world to make thousands of vegans. At least that's my commitment. If I'm blessed enough to be one of the winners, my commitment is to redouble and retriple and we quadruple uh, my efforts with that uh, larger platform to go out and do a great deal of good in the world. And then just a couple of hours ago, they came up with a new page, which is tinyurl.com slash PETA female finalists. And that has bios of all of the female finalists. And you can vote there, too. You can vote at tinyurl PETA50 plus or tinyurl PETA female finalists. And I'll put all that on the show notes. So thank you very much. And thanks for the person who messaged asking that. It means a lot. And it means a lot to have guests on this program who are quite literally and without any sort of exaggeration changing life on this planet, and my next guest is one of those. Salish Rao is the founder and executive director of Climate Healers, a nonprofit dedicated to healing the Earth's climate as opposed to maintaining it precariously in an advanced stage of disrepair. A system specialist with a Ph.D. from Stanford, Salish worked on Internet communications infrastructure until 2006 when he switched careers to become immersed full-time in the spiritual and environmental crises affecting humanity. He is executive co-producer of Cowspiracy and also uh, the Cowspiracy guy's Next movie, What the Health, and uh, the film that I'm so proud to be involved with on veganism and spirituality, The Compassion Project. Salish has written the book Carbon Dharma, The Occupation of Butterflies, and his brand new book will be releasing this very weekend at the Cowspiracy Conference in Berkeley, California, and that is called Carbon Yoga, The Vegan Metamorphosis. Welcome, Dr. Salish Rao. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. Well, what a pleasure to have you on the program and on the planet. So that was a pretty big switch to go from what you were doing to what you're doing now. Tell us how that came about. Uh, Yes, it was a very big switch. I was working on the Internet, and um, I had a a startup called Fighten Technologies. We were doing 10 gigabit Ethernet. And I came home one day, sat down on my sofa, and switched on Link TV. And there was Al Gore talking about climate change. This is the first I had ever heard about this issue. And uh, Al Gore was actually making a presentation to a small group in San Francisco. And someone had videotaped it, and they were showing it on this public access channel called Link TV. And I was so stunned by what he was showing. I said, if half of what he's saying is true, what are we doing? You know, working on making things 10 times faster. So 
So I told my wife, I need to study this problem and see if what he's saying is true or not. And uh, she said, go ahead. And within three months, I came back to her and I said, not only is it true, he is an optimist. It's far worse than what he's saying. So we decided to close our company, and I wrote to him, and I said, how can I help you? And uh, he sent me a letter back like six months later saying, come and um, become part of my project, the climate project. So I got trained by him in December of 2006, part of the second batch. And then I went around giving talks about this. Um, And... A year later, I said, I want to do something, not just talk about it. So that's when we started Climate Healers. Did you get the food-climate connection immediately? Uh, Very, very soon. I got that by 2008, I turned vegan. So (laughs) it's a process, you know. It is. I got the climate-food connection when I went to India, actually. Because all along, I, I was a vegetarian, so I was a lacto-vegetarian, and, um, but I justified the consumption of milk, saying it's not as bad as eating beef, you know. And, uh, but I went to India, and I saw the devastation of the forest due to dairy consumption, and that was it. So I mm-hmm. quit milk uh, almost instantly. Well, I want to ask you about milk and the Hindu tradition and this incredible plan that you have to transform the spiritual connection that Hindus feel with dairy and move that into something vegan. Tell us every delicious morsel about that. I'm so fascinated. (laughs) Yeah, the connection uh, the Hindus have with dairy comes from the Mahabharata, which is one of the epics of Hinduism. Um, in the Mahabharata, the main character is Krishna, the Lord Krishna, and he is uh, brought up by a cowherd. So he's a cowherd, and and you know he's uh, he loves butter in the story. He loves butter, but you know all the stories of the Mahabharata are symbolic. So Krishna, as a baby, lifted a mountain with his little finger to shelter all the people underneath from a thunderstorm. Krishna, as a baby, also danced on the hood of a seven-hooded snake called Kaliya and banished the snake from the river. So these are symbolic stories. And so I said, okay, what if the butter is also a symbolic story? And in fact, there is a symbolism to that. Krishna loves I mean, milk is symbolic to, uh, is equivalent to the fluid mind, where, you know, we really don't have, we have doubts about God, and you put a little faith in that milk, which is the curd, and then you churn it, and you get butter, which is the solid mind, that's fixed on God. So Krishna loves butter because Krishna loves someone whose mind is fixed on God. Okay? So then you take that butter and you clarify it. You get ghee. So that is the clarified solid mind that's fixed on God. And that's what we use to light the fire for our pujas. So that ghee, when you light, it's the clarified mind that becomes enlightened. So it's all about, you know, how how do you go from an ordinary human being, to someone who is enlightened. So this is the symbolism of the Mahabharata stories. And there is also another ritual that we do in our temples. In the temples, we offer a fruit, typically a banana. We offer some leaves, and we offer a flower to God. So the Leaves represent the body. The flower represents the mind that's thinking of God. And the fruit represents your soul. So you're offering your body, your mind, and your soul to God in the ritual. And then you take a coconut and you break it. 
So that coconut represents the human ego. So you break the coconut, so you break your ego, and let the water of the coconut out, so which is the fluid mind, and what is left is the solid coconut meat, which is the solid mind. So then we light the fire, okay, for enlightenment. So the idea is that you're offering your body, your mind, and your soul to God, and you're willing to break your ego and uh, serve God wholeheartedly, then you'll become enlightened. So millions of Hindus are doing this every day, right, as a ritual. Yes. So I said, now, if you then take that coconut meat and you clarify it, you'll get coconut oil, which you can use to light the fire. So now you can veganize our rituals with the same symbolism that we had before. I love that. I love that. I know that um, in the Jewish tradition, vegans have managed to veganize the Passover Seder, and and other things in other religions are happening to to make these beautiful ancient traditions more in keeping with what we understand today about compassion and sustainability. And right. I wish you tremendous success. This is a big religion. Uh, a lot of people you're seeking to change. But somebody has to do it. Right. In fact, but the Hindu religion, I mean, the Hindu Declaration on Climate Change that came out last year was the first major religion declaration that explicitly called for the adoption of a plant-based diet. Really? That's fantastic. Yeah. Whoa. So much to celebrate. And yet, we have a cowspiracy going on in this world. I know you're very involved with that whole concept. So tell us, why is there a cowspiracy? That's a very interesting question. And it's something that I've thought about for three, four years now, because ever since I got involved with Kip and Keegan in the movie, I've been racking my brains. You know, the explanation that people are doing it for just money, to me, it's too simplistic. Yeah? Yes, there is money involved, you know, in the process. But why is every environmental organization not talking about it? Right? Why is there this widespread conspiracy in the environmental sector, in the healthcare NGOs? That's what what the health is about. And... Uh, uh, if you go to the UN climate change meetings, the conspiracy is there as well. It's very difficult for you to get vegan meals inside the COP20, in, the, in COP21, for instance, in Paris. I found it very hard to get vegan meals. Fascinating. Uh, and, you know, the negotiators, one of the negotiators came out of the meeting and she, I was wearing a vegan T-shirt. And so she came to me straight and she said, you know, uh, I'm the only vegetarian among all the negotiators. And I'm not even vegan, I'm vegetarian. But, and there are very few women among all the negotiators. So it's mostly That's a problem. <laughs> it's mostly men sitting around and talking about how are we going to solve this problem. And, and uh, they're all eating meat, you know during the negotiations. So how can we expect them to really take things seriously, right? So I was racking my brains to figure out, okay, what is it, what compels us to do this? Assuming that people are all good, how can we come up with an explanation for this? And the only explanation that I've come up with is that it is systemic. So we have a socioeconomic system that revolves around consumption, as an organizing value. Because every American gets, on the average, 3,500 ads a day trying to persuade the American to consume something or the other. And it's spread throughout the world now, right? It's all about consumption, 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 increasing consumption, increasing our growth. Okay? And it's based on competition as the organizing principle. We are constantly competing with each other to see who is better at some activity or the other. Now, this system is incompatible with veganism 
Because veganism fundamentally is about being kind to animals, being compassionate to all beings. And over time, vegans realize that every consumption does impact other animals, one way or the other. We're impacting their habitat in some form or the other, or we're directly impacting them if we're using animal products, right? So vegans, over time, start becoming consciously simple in their lifestyle. And that is incompatible with a system that depends on consumption. Wow. What a beautiful phrase, consciously simple. And I see that in in the people around me, that it starts with food and it spreads to clothing and it spreads to television. Very interesting. Right. So what do we do about it? So we have to come up with a new socioeconomic system that's based on compassion as the organizing value as opposed to consumption. And we can do it. So compassion is the organizing value and cooperation rather than competition as the organizing principle. So, I'm listening. Um, it's a, so it's not something that's going to uh, come out of the current system. Because in the current system, everybody who is there is stuck with this. And people who are high up in the system, who are so-called successful in the current system, have bought into this, right? So they're trying to preserve that system. So we have to now create an alternate system in parallel where we are actually basing it on compassion and we are basing it on cooperation. And as we we build this alternate system, as we get more and more people buying into it, as we work on the software for making it a non-hierarchical system in which everyone is equal to begin with, I mean, it's really like utopia, right? But why are we not designing for utopia? Why are we designing for something that is destined to fail? Right? So why don't we design something like that and then... People will adopt it more and more. See, Buckminster Fuller said, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Do we have time to build this new model? Yes, I believe we do. See, I have uh, experience in nonlinear transformations because I was working on nonlinear systems. Um, in 1995, when I was working on the Internet hardware, there was an article in Newsweek, and uh, the title was, The Internet Bar. <laughs> <laughs> basically, it said, no one is going to really use this stuff. Right? It's a fad. It's going to disappear. And for me, you know, I was in the trenches of this uh, Internet hardware uh, infrastructure, and so it was a discouraging article. I thought maybe I should be doing something else. But within a year, my company got acquired, and uh, then within three years, I became part of Intel. So I suddenly, you know, everything that I was working on took on more and more importance. And by 2003, we were selling 150 million units every year of the device that I had designed. Okay, and. In 2005, which is 10 years after this, this Newsweek article came out, I overheard somebody say, I cannot imagine living without the Internet. And that was a nonlinear transformation that happened. And people really couldn't go back to the way they were. So, so you so, are in the business of creating the equivalent of another Internet, but for compassion. Correct. Oh, well, that's that sounds like easy that. enough. <laughs> so is this what you mean by vegan metamorphosis? Correct. So metamorphosis is the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. The caterpillar is a blind consumer, you know, but it gets too big for its skin. The, when the caterpillar is too big for its skin, then he stops and meditates. And uh, within a few days, 
you know, it becomes a, he becomes a butterfly. And as a butterfly, she's a very discriminating consumer. She only sips nectar from flowers. And in the process, she pollinates the flowers. So she regenerates life. Right? To undo the damage done during the caterpillar phase. So in effect, the caterpillar plus butterfly together is a net asset to ecosystems. I really think that human beings are also part of the ecosystem, and we are also going to be net assets to the ecosystem, even though it's hard to believe that today. It is very hard. <laughs> right? But, but it's a story that we have told ourselves. The story that we have told ourselves is that we are the only species that doesn't fit. Every other species fits. In fact, all you have to do is take human beings out of an ecosystem, and that ecosystem just flourishes. Right? We have seen so many examples of this. So, it's, you know, I said that's the that's story of exceptionalism. That's the story of the human ego. The human ego is saying that we are so special, we are so different for, from every other species that we don't fit in this ecosystem. The story I'm trying to tell is that, no, we fit, we have been, we belonged all along. It's just that we were doing technology for the first, I don't know, 150,000 years of our existence. And now we are being asked to transform. That's the signal that climate change is. Climate change is telling us we are done with the caterpillar phase and we need to move on to the butterfly phase. So we have to move on from consumption to compassion and from competition to cooperation. And it's a beautiful transformation. Well, you know, and so I, think, I really think... Go ahead. I think we are so lucky to be born at this time, to be alive at this time, to be participating in such a transformation. Well, listening to you talk about it, it seems so possible. And also, the hairs on my arms are standing up just because of some of the connections between what you were talking about and what my earlier guest was talking about, an entirely different topic, but this idea of moving from this competitive way of being to an appreciation that we really are beautiful and, as you say, that we really do belong. Now, I'm almost afraid to ask you the next question because I never have understood Bitcoin, and you are talking about something called Ahimsa coin. Tell me that I'll understand this better. <laughs> yes. So the idea is, you know, um, changing from the current socioeconomic system to another socioeconomic system, we cannot carry along our current, uh, the way we do currency today. Because the way we do currency today is fundamental to the way the socioeconomic system works. So the currency currently is um, produced by banks. So they can actually create currency out of thin air. Okay? So you go ask for a loan from a bank, and they will uh, examine whether you can pay it back or not. And based on their assessment, they say, okay, he'll approve a loan for you. And where does the money come from? It doesn't come from the depositors. They just put a number in the computer. Okay, so the money appears. And they are free to do that so long as they're only issuing new currency as less than 10 times the deposits that they have. So they can create 10 times as much money out of the deposits that they have. Right? So they give you the loan and then they ask you for the interest on the loan, as well as the principal. But they never issue currency for that interest. So which means you have to get that interest from somebody else. So, it's, so it fosters competition in the system. And in order for this thing to work, you have to make sure that this whole scheme keeps growing. So the economy has to keep growing. As the economy grows, more and more currency can be issued and people are able to pay back their loans without hurting other people. So this puts an impetus for growth in the system. 
So growth and competition are part of how currency is issued in the current system. It's built in. So we said, okay, wait a minute. You know, why is a bank issuing currency? Why are just a few registered entities the only ones who can, who can uh, basically authorize new demands on nature? That's what this is. That's what currency is. Okay? Why can't currency be issued to every individual on the planet in a distributed fashion? And so you really don't need a bank anymore with Bitcoin technology. Because what Bitcoin did is that it created a way uh, for us to have ledgers where we do accounting and trust the ledger. You can trust the Bitcoin ledger even though there is no single entity that's responsible for it. It's a distributed ledger. So you really don't need banks anymore. Where does the Ahimsa come in? So the Ahimsa coin says, okay, we have, to, we, are, we have to make sure that our overall footprint is no more than half the earth. So the other half can be given back to wildlife. Because currently, currency systems are not connected with the ecosystem at all. Right? So it keeps growing, growing uncontrollably. We know that overall, the impact of humanity should be no more than half the earth. So the Ahimsa coin is really a, an ecological footprint allowance for every human being. So it tells you for every hour you're alive, you get an extra one square meter of the footprint allowance. So imagine something that automatically comes into your account every hour, an extra coin. That allows you to eat. That allows you to get some clothes. Anything that requires resource footprint on the planet. So this guarantees that everybody gets the same share of the resource footprint. And then we can trade this with each other. So you can actually create a capitalist system where it is constrained by the overall footprint of the planet. You know, Salish, I try to provide something on this program for everybody, and I think I've just provided something for people who are a lot smarter than me. And (laughs) I don't quite understand the particulars, but I love the spirit behind everything that you're talking about, and I'm so happy that you're out there doing what you're doing. Just in our last 90 seconds, can you get the Sacred Lifeline Project into a tiny bit of time? Sure, sure. So Sacred Lifeline Project, basically when I said, you know, we need to create a, a socioeconomic system around compassion as the organizing value, the, the World Council of Religious Leaders said we would be very interested in participating in something like this. Okay, so we, are, so we said, okay, we need to create a community where people actually try things out, where you have uh, um, some permanent residents, so half would be permanent residents, and the other half would be students from universities who come and do sustainability projects, so who come in and out, you know, and work on the infrastructure, the software infrastructure and the accounting infrastructure for what this new socioeconomic system would look like. Rather than just writing it down in paper, this is actually implementing it and living it. So the first Sacred Lifeline project is going to happen in Creston, Colorado, where um, there is already a large community of, uh, of faith people. So Creston has about 25 different spiritual centers of different faiths. So in, in the Sacred Lifeline Project, we will have an all-faiths temple so to signify the unity of all faiths in making this thing work. Because compassion is fundamental to every faith. Amen to that. And I, I love everything that you're doing. I wish we had more time, but the information about the wonderful work of Dr. Rao, climatehealers.org, will be on this week's show notes. His books are Carbon Dharma, 
and Carbon Yoga. And Kimberly Snyder's book is Radical Beauty, so please check all those out. Next week on the program, we will be welcoming Nafsika Antipas, the host of the world's first vegan television talk show on the FYI Network, and also Matt Resigno, registered dietitian, who's going to say, uh, can we over-promise the health benefits? I don't know. Thank you, Dr. Rao. Thank you, Unity Online Radio, for being there every single week to make our program happen. Thank you to everybody who's going to give me a vote in that PETA contest. It's fun, isn't it? You know, sometimes feeling like high school is lots of fun. To all my treasured listeners, God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Often, people desire prosperity but are not willing to pay the price. What is the price? It is sharing, giving, loving, and caring. Prosperity needs an inflow and an outflow, just as a body of water does if it is to remain fresh and clean. As we create an outflow by giving in love, we experience the inflow of a greater awareness of good in our lives. Perhaps you've been led to believe that for every winner in this game we call life, there must be a loser. The truth is that you rarely lose by giving. In giving freely without thought of return, we set in motion a great momentum of goodness. When we give, everyone is a winner. You have something unique to offer the world, something no one else can give. Whatever your gift, know that it is precious, give it freely, share it in love. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. It is the birthright of each and every one of us to live an awakened life. Most religions and spiritual traditions teach us that we need to adopt a certain belief system or follow some prescribed steps to attain a state of enlightenment. A long-held belief about awakening is that only a small number of people destined to become gurus or spiritual teachers can attain it. It is certainly true that until recent times, only a small number of people on the planet had attained this state of full self-realization. These saints, mystics, and spiritual masters were seen as special. They certainly were at the time. However, times are changing. This message was brought to you by T.J. Woodward, host of Awakened Living Radio. Learn more from TJ on his weekly podcasts. Episodes are available on UnityOnlineRadio.org, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. 
I know that feeling and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.